should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, 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 welcome. Happy Tuesday. It's Tuesday, two days right before Thanksgiving. I can't believe it. It's the 22nd. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. In studio with us is John Zipper of Commonwealth Club. Welcome, John. Welcome, Michelle. Welcome, everybody. Thanks so much for being here with me, even though uh, people have kind of, you know, left their uh, cubicles and or whatever else they were working on to, to go home already, taking a <laughs> an early break. I feel like people are just dying to to not be out and about or or <laughs> interacting socially lately uh possibly or they're just trying to avoid the uh terrible travel times tomorrow and that's probably it <laughs> <laughs> um so it's been it's been a couple weeks since you know the uh, devastating news let's just call it the happening the happening yeah, exactly. Or the beginning of the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want to call it. I'm glad we're still laughing about it, although it is no laughing matter. It has been insane. It's been crazy. And every single media company out there is talking about Trump. You 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 uh, check into your social media. Everyone is talking about Trump, whether it's good or bad, mostly bad, in my opinion. I mean, a lot of reports on, you know, just kind of people's opinions about his appointments um, and then also just kind of what the people look like, who they are, what they do, what they've said in the past. And it makes you just so incredibly depressed. Right. I mean, this time of year, the news is always going to be, I mean, this time of year, this time of the every four years is always going to be dominated by the presidential transition. Um, this one is such a controversial one that uh, we're going to get that kind of in spades. Um, and, and on top of that, the fact that Donald Trump knows how to play the media better than any other politician out there. Yes, as I said this morning on my Facebook uh, status update, he is the true meaning of reality TV. He is incredibly talented in that way. Well played, Donald Trump. You have every single you know, media outlet, including social media, talking about you and keeping your brand out there. So I kind of don't believe it when the department stores are pulling, you know, Trump uh, or Ivanka Trump's like fashion line or whatever, like whatever that's going to do. Um, all of this is just bad. Anyway, let's take you back to, you know, the campaign trails during happier days, or at least when we had hope. Uh, and uh, during the presidential debates, we heard over and over and over Hillary Clinton, um, you know, just uh, throwing out those words, fact check, fact check. And, and she kept throwing out her, you know, head to HillaryClinton.com. But uh, most of us who did want to do some of our own fact checking did that, whether that was through Google or whatnot. Uh, today, we have a special guest with us who actually is an expert 
on the Electoral College. So when it comes to fact-checking, many of you are talking about this possibility that the Electoral College could flip their votes come December 19th, and it's possible, it's still possible that we could elect uh, Hillary Clinton to become our president. But how possible is it? Well, let's let's get that answered. Let's get today's show started. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our guest is Rob Farley. He's on the phone with us, and uh, I know that he's kind of somewhat already started his holiday week, and it probably is because he's had to do so much fact-checking. And <laughs> he's been, um, But anyway, I asked the question of this Electoral College. He is, in fact, an expert on the Electoral College, and he is with factcheck.org. Rob, thank you so much for joining us here this morning. All right. Well, so, thank you for having me. Yes, thank you for joining us. So, so the Electoral College. You know, there's been uh, petitions out there. People are talking about it. Some are diehard that it is completely possible to turn this around and get some uh, electoral voters to change their mind come December 19th. But how realistic is that? Not very. Uh, and uh, that's talking to a number of election experts. So there was this change.org uh, petition that you referenced. Got now got about four and a half million signatures uh, asking, uh, you know, the electoral electoral college electors to to switch their votes from trump to clinton the problem uh, is that these electors are uh, republicans uh, many of whom ha- are very involved in the party uh, probably who worked on the donald trump campaign uh, so these are the folks that uh, you know that, that uh, these folks are trying to convince to vote for someone other than trump it's uh, the folks that we talk to the experts that we talk to elections experts uh, said that that's you know extremely unlikely, and, and it's, it's only happened a, a couple of times where people have switched their votes, uh, and only a couple, a couple of times in modern history that that's happened, and certainly not to the degree that would allow the the, the, the election to switch from uh, you know from from one party to another. It's it's kind of funny. Uh, Politico has a story, I believe, it was this this morning by Kyle Cheney um, about this movement. There are some electors who are trying to convince. Uh, other electors to uh, to you know change their votes, and of this small group, nowhere near what what the number that would be needed, but of this small group who have said they will change, um, only one of them is a Republican. The others are all uh, former Bernie Sanders folks who are allegedly <laughs> Clinton uh, electors. So right. this movement could actually result in her getting yeah. fewer <laughs> electoral votes than she would otherwise have gotten. Um, so, so the way it works. Uh, uh, you know, you're, you're constitutionally allowed to sort of vote your conscience. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, uh, there are some. There was, a, you know, a court case about some states some restrictions on uh, on the way people vote, so that they have to vote with the um, the person who wants to have their votes in their state. And so, some states uh, they have these uh, party pledges or state pledges that they make electors sign in some states there's actually a fine attached to it not very much that would come into a thousand dollars but you know whether those things would hold up if someone was to bucket in court uh, you know the folks that we talked to said you know probably not uh, you know it's, it's entirely possible that you could vote your conscience and that some of these laws uh, could be you know overridden uh, mm-hmm. but as, as we talked about earlier uh, what you're trying to do is to convince people who are, you know, party uh, loyalists and people who, as again, probably worked on Trump's campaign to switch their votes. That's not likely. Certainly, the numbers might be needed to to flip it. Uh, 
So, so give us a sense of what actually happens. Uh, I think a lot of people, when they hear electoral college, they're thinking either of a place or that all the electors from the country come together, but it, it's actually state by state. Is that right? It is. So the way it works is when you vote, you're actually voting on a slate of, of electors from your state. And uh, whoever wins the plurality uh, votes in your state. So I say plurality. That doesn't mean you have to have 51%. It just means that you have to have a higher percentage than anyone else right. got. Uh, and you know, th those folks get their electors elected. Uh, and so those people are usually picked at the, at the uh, party's conventions. And so those are the folks that then, about 41 days after the election, will go and formally vote uh, for you know, the, the candidate that won their state. Uh, and it's a winner-take-all. So, uh, you know, what can happen is you can win some states by an awful lot and some by a little. And so, as, as in, you know, possibly this case, you can, uh, you can lose the popular vote but win the, uh, the electoral vote. Uh, the last I checked, uh, the New York Times tally had Clinton up by about uh, 1.3 million votes in the popular vote, um, but obviously trailing in the electoral college uh, fairly significantly. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, tell us about how the Electoral College even came to be. I mean, the day after the election when, you know, people are everywhere were kind of walking around in shock, and certainly here in San Francisco, a, a colleague came up to me and said, okay, wh why do we even have the Electoral College? So I kind of gave my ham-handed explanation, but it, it, it give us a bit of a sense of why we have this odd, I mean, are, are there other countries that have this sort of a thing, do you know? You know, I'm not, I'm not sure that there are, but uh, I will tell you that the founders, uh, we wrote, uh, uh, I guess they had some, they had some concerns about uh, a direct democracy, mm -hmm. and they wanted an extra layer beyond that. Uh, and so they were afraid that you might have these factions that would emerge, and sometimes maybe even a majority, that would elect someone who would uh, do harm to the minority. Uh, and to such a degree that they felt like, you know, they ought to uh, have the ability to overturn the popular vote, if, if need be. Uh, Alexander Hamilton, the Federalist Papers, I'll quote him because, uh, he, you know, he, he, uh, obviously he's the one that wrote this, uh, the Electoral College. He said it was to preserve what they call the sense of the people, uh, while ensuring at the same time that the president is chosen, quote, by men most capable of analyzing the qualities adapted to the station and acting under circumstances favorable favorable to deliberation and to a, to a judicious combination of all the reason and inducements which were proper to govern their choice. All of which is a long way of saying that it, it does give these electors the ability to vote their conscience, mm -hmm. but that's not how it's played out over, over time. Over time, it's become somewhat of a formality yeah. uh, that, you know, folks will vote along with the plurality of, of you know, of, of the, the candidate that got the plurality of votes in their state. So if, if the intention of it was kind of, if you will, like control rods to make sure, you know, a demagogue didn't come in and kind of rally up the, the folks and get into office, um, well, that's kind of questionable as to whether that helped. But also the whole, you know, free state, slave state uh, thing played a role in that as well, didn't it? As well as, well as the whole small state, large state uh, I believe it. You know, you know there could be a, an argument. I know we do do fact checking, so we're we're yeah. an independent uh, group, and so we don't take a position. And it could be that the you know the electoral college is, is you know uh, uh, past its prime, and perhaps it doesn't serve the function that it was intended to. Uh, and that's certainly a, a, a you know something that folks can debate. That we wouldn't take a position on necessarily, sure. but that's that's what would have to happen. And 
And I would note that, you know, when we talk about the popular vote and who won the popular vote and who lost the popular vote, in this case, it looks like Clinton will probably almost assuredly win the popular vote by a slim margin. But it wasn't a popular vote race in the sense that both parties weren't contesting it as a popular vote race. Uh, elections would look very different if they were. Right. Uh, you would contest every state. Uh, there are some states that, that Democrats and Republicans know they're going to lose, and they don't particularly put much effort into those states. Uh, those would come back into play if you were to have a popular vote. And if you were to lose uh, a state, you know, a swing state by a very small margin, you wouldn't, it wouldn't bother you as much uh, because you would get uh, you know, that percentage. It wouldn't matter so much. Uh, so it would look very different the way it's done. So that's, that's the system we have in place. But, you know, obviously there's a lot of folks who think that that's uh, no longer a viable, you know, uh, reason to have it. Michelle Miel with John Zipper of Commonwealth Club. On the phone with us is Rob Farley, who is an expert on the Electoral College. He's with factcheck.org, and we're talking about how possible, how possible is it that come December 19th, for those of you who still have hope, <laughs> that uh, Hillary Clinton could uh, could become president if the Electoral College changed its votes. But we're, we've already answered that. It's highly unlikely. Um, but if, if it were to happen, let's just say, you know, because of all the reports of the rise of uh, violence and, and race, racist, sexist, all, all these horrible things that we're hearing in the news, um, some of these uh, uh, voters, you know, kind of change their mind. It, it, it could happen, uh, is what we've just said. Uh, Rob, what would be, you know, the, the consequences, or if not consequences, what, <laughs> what do you think would happen? Well, there are some states where uh, they could throw votes out if, they, if you were to vote against what they call, uh, if you're a faithless voter, that's what they're called, if you were to switch. Uh, and there's some states that could nullify that vote and, and replace you with an alternate. Um, and so it's, it's, in those states, it's very obviously very difficult. Now, there are a bunch of states where you could uh, buck your, your, uh, you know, your, your party. Uh, in that case, uh, then the, uh, the House and Senate would get together and decide whether to accept the vote uh, of the Electoral College. Uh, and if there wasn't a clear winner, then it would go to the House, and they would decide. That uh, is Republican control. Uh, and so in that scenario, again, it would be certainly highly unlikely that they would switch parties. And, and that would be the – of course, the House did not change uh... – uh, control this election, but even if it had, that would be a vote by the outgoing Congress or the newly elected Congress? You know, that's a, a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, you know, I, I'm, uh, I know you introduced me as an electoral college expert. What I'm an expert in is actually uh, polling the experts and finding out what they know. Uh, and so I don't know that. Yeah. Um, so if we, for those folks who, who do kind of see this as an outmoded thing or they dislike the way it, it has played, the Electoral College has played out in some elections, um, just if this were to be changed, it would have to be a constitutional amendment, right? No, there would be no necessarily need for a, right. a, a constitutional amendment for these faithless voters to change their vote. Oh, no, no. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I meant if the... the if the country or enough of it decided it wanted to get rid of the electoral college, oh yes, 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 that would then, yes, that would require a constitutional amendment. Yeah, okay. I guess another option would be if enough states did what I guess eleven, I think it's eleven Democrat st- Democratic uh, controlled states have done, which is 
passed their own own laws saying that their electors must reflect the national popular vote, which kind of, I guess, would be another way of just nullifying the Electoral College while keeping it alive on life support. Yeah. And there's, you know, as I said, states do have some latitude in the way that they uh, are able to allow this to play out. Uh, As I said, some states uh, make, make the electors sign formal pledges. Uh, others have fines, and others don't have any at all. But it's just understood that uh, because uh, you know this party's electors have been elected, right. uh, that they're going to go along with what their party, who their party elected. Rob, we're going to take a quick convention. Yeah, quick break right here. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. I want to I want to check in with you on some other facts or non facts <laughs> when we come back <laughs> after the break. So stay with us, babe. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale. G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me here on this Tuesday, two days before Thanksgiving. Hopefully you'll all be safe and be with people that uh, you can feel happy with. Um, I know it's been a difficult and challenging time for a lot of us, especially if you are a Progressive Voices listener. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here in studio with us on the phone as our special guest is Rob Farley. He's with factcheck.org. And so, Rob, right before the break, we had a thorough conversation about the Electoral College. Many, many uh, people, I would say over four million people who signed that change.org petition that we brought up in the first half of the show probably didn't have much knowledge about how the Electoral College uh, works and if it is if it is even possible 
um, for their votes to flip come December 19th. And so I think from this point on, our best advice for everyone, especially the over 4 million people who signed that petition, including myself, by the way, Desperate Times calls for desperate <laughs> measures, um, <laughs> that uh, we, we've got to start living in this this era that uh, President Trump is it. This is it. But 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 other than that, I, I want to change our, our, or switch our conversation. I think we did a, a great job talking about how it's unlikely that the Electoral College will flip their votes. So um, I'm checking out your website now, factcheck.org, which is awesome, by the way. What other, what other things do you want to bring up being a part of factcheck.org that you want people out there to know? Because fake news has made its way around the Internet so fast, especially in this election, that it, I think it impacted the outcome. Yeah, and you know, we've always, uh, you know, factcheck.org, we've been doing this for quite a while now, and uh, since 2003. And part of what we do, and it's uh, frankly kind of a small portion of what we do, is what we call fake news. And these are these pages that are made to look like a news page, say, or, uh, you know, uh, in some other way made to look like real news, but not. Uh, you know, that's, as I said, it's kind of a fraction of what we do, because more often than not, what we're doing is we're checking ads, we're checking what the politicians say. Uh, and this is something different entirely. This is people that are, uh, uh, you know, putting up fake news articles. And because of, you know, uh, you know, they're able to be very clever in the way, you know, you can steal someone's logo, put on, say, New York Times and make it seem like it's, uh, you know, from a very reputable source. Uh, and, you know, it's, there's been an awful lot at this, this particular election cycle. And so you can put up an article on our website reminding our readers that they're really the first line of defense against this kind of thing. Uh, uh, Facebook has talked about trying to crack down on fake news and particularly trying to perhaps uh, limit the ad revenue to these folks uh, that are putting up fake news. It's a difficult subject because a lot of people put up satire, and I don't think anyone wants to squash satire. Uh, but at the same time, there are, there are people out there that are trying to put up news, genuinely trying to fool people uh, and to thinking that they're legitimate. Uh, and in those cases, we've put up you know, a number of stories over the years uh, explaining, you know, this is a, this is a fake story from a, a, a oftentimes from a satirical website that someone's taken seriously, uh, but another time, you know, they've just created a fake a fake story all you know from scratch, uh, and so as I said, Facebook has expressed an interest in trying to crack down on that. Uh, but you know, as I said, we wanted to remind readers that you know there's a number of things they can do uh, to try and uh, combat you know things they see and they question. Does this you know this this seems a little uh, off, uh, question it, uh, I guess is my first, uh, uh, you know, uh, piece of advice, but we have some suggestions on our, on our website about the things, steps people can take to ferret out those kinds of things. As I've kind of watched, and I, I see this from the left and the right, uh, people on, for example, Facebook, yeah. Google also has announced it's going to try to crack down on, on fake news. But as I've seen Excellent. people kind of, you know, repost things and, oh my gosh, did you hear this sort of stuff? Um, and I realized, well, this is definitely not just, you know, on one side of the political spectrum. And even a fair number of folks who, I mean, my, my initial assumption would be, okay, we're dealing with folks perhaps not particularly sophisticated, perhaps not highly educated. Um, but, you know, I've got folks with master's degrees and, and more who are reposting stuff that, that I can look at it and from the headline know that that's very unlikely to be true. Yeah. I, and I kind of wonder. I, I oftentimes, we, yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say was, I mean, I actually remember in grade school, way back in the ancient 1970s, 
um, <laughs> when there was, you know, a class where we were talking about um, how you can be manipulated by media and stuff. And it kind of leads me to think, I think there are a lot of folks who are just kind of un unsophisticated about media and uh, unaware of how it can be using them, how to read anything skeptically. You know, if it, if it supports their biases, boom, repost it. And they've just, you know, helped spread a lie. I mean, that, that, that's actually... Uh, sometimes we look into... How is it possible some, someone could believe this? Right. Uh, so, and uh, I think the, the answer probably is that sometimes people want to believe things uh, that fits their, their ideological perspective. Yeah. And so they allow themselves to uh, believe some things that they wouldn't normally believe. Uh, I, think, I think there's certainly some, uh, some of that at play. But oftentimes, if you go and you, and one of the things we tell people is, look at some of the other stories on the website. Uh, oftentimes, that's a, a very direct clue if you've got uh, things about uh, alien invasions or, you know, and, and sometimes things not nearly that uh, obvious. But see, sometimes it's, a site isn't very reputable very quickly if you poke around a little bit. So wait a minute, you're saying we're not being invaded by space aliens? <laughs> this is outrageous. The lying media you know going out. If I haven't fact-checked that directly, maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> that, yeah. Um, well, I, th I mean, this is actually the perfect entree for the question of, uh, for folks who aren't aware, they probably have heard of fact-checks, certainly in some of the, the, the press, uh, whatever, the debates, but... Um, I mean, give us a, a very quick spiel about what you guys are, because you guys are addressing some of this core issue of, of you know, facts, <laughs> to put it really bluntly. Yeah. Um, and you're, as I understand, you're you're part of the Annenberg uh, uh, kind of family of projects. Is that right? Yeah, it's, uh, the, we're at the Annenberg Public Policy Center at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, we're an independent uh, fact-checking website, and we've been doing this, you know, as I said, uh, longer than anybody. Uh, and uh, so what we do is we look at statements made by politicians, um, uh, political ads, all those kinds of things, and, and explain to people how they're being misled in different points uh, on both sides. And so, uh, but it's very old school journalism. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's taking uh, things from the web and we're able to be very transparent because we can link to original sources. But what we're really doing is very traditional journalism and saying, uh, this is this isn't accurate, and we've taken some time to look into this because it does take time, yeah. uh, a lot of times, to look into something and say, how is this figure being manipulated? Uh, sometimes people will cite a credible source, but they've lifted it out of context, or they've uh, cherry picked a number somewhere. Uh, you know, they've cherry picked someone else has said, and it takes time for people to go and look, you know, that kind of stuff up. And frankly, sometimes it takes a lot of times for journalists to look that stuff up, and so they don't. Uh, they get caught in this sort of this he said she said form of journalism, right? Uh, where they don't, uh, they just say, well, they said this, they you know they countered with this, and leave it at that. Uh, whereas we'll say, no, 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 this isn't right. Uh, here's why. Uh, and I think it, you know, from what we can tell, our, you know, people seem to appreciate that our traffic is through the roof, and we're not the only ones in the fact checking game, of course. And I think that all fact checkers are finding that their traffic has been through the roof, and it's because I think people are looking for some sort of independent uh, yeah. uh, referee on some of these facts. Yeah, I mean, it, it, for every uh, upset Democrat who goes to your site looking for something, they're going to find you guys calling, you know, Democrats out on stuff as well. Um, do you get pushback? I mean, when, you know, one of the standard news organizations will do a fact check, they'll often get, you know, attacked by the candidate who was telling an untruth. Do you guys get that? I, I actually have not, refreshingly, I have not seen you guys 
kind of be the target of stuff, but maybe you guys, you actually have. No, it's certainly in general, we, we get, we do, we get an awful lot of pushback oh, yeah. uh, from the campaigns. Uh, typically, uh, the campaigns are usually very active uh, in pushing back and upfront. Uh, we usually uh, have conversations with the campaigns beforehand and tell them, uh, you know, someone said this, or we're fact checking your candidate who said this. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you provide some background material for it? Can you defend it? And so we have conversations usually before, before we go to print, so we're not shocking people on the other end. Uh, but yes, there is an awful lot of pushback, and, and our leaders push back. And you know, we were talking about the electoral college before, and, and I, yeah. I tell you, I got a lot of pushback on that uh, from folks who, who felt like uh, I was, uh, you know, manipulating the the issue and, and not giving it a fair shake. And you know, uh, and I appreciate that. You know, people that are interested in, in that way. Um, but yes, there is there is quite a bit of pushback. <laughs> You're destroying their dreams. <laughs> yeah, it could, but it goes to the territory. I think you know you have to have a thick skin because you are at the end of the day. You know, you're writing a story that says someone has said something that's misleading. Yeah, and uh, you know that's uh, that's a very personal thing for a lot of people. And and yes, they they, they you know can can uh, can get very heated. Rob, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program and uh, for walking us through the possibility of the Electoral College changing their votes and how um, unlikely it is. So everyone, we got to start living in the reality now. I have one last question for you before we let you go um, as we're, we finished off our conversation talking about facts and uh, being honest and truthful and, and being a journalist. Um, you know, it, there were a lot of things that were floating out there during the campaign and the debates, when, and it was hard sometimes to, to know who was lying, who was not. Uh, I, I just have to ask you, in your opinion, just your opinion only. <laughs> who I lied? Think I know where you're going. Yeah, you know who lied more, Hillary Clinton or uh, uh, Donald Trump? Look, we wrote a story. We write a story every year uh, where we call our whoppers of the year. And last year, for the first time ever, we had we had sort of designated Trump as the king of whoppers mm. uh, because we are seeing so many uh, misleading statements and things that were fairly easy to fact-check that he would not uh, back away from yeah. uh, and would double down on. And so I will tell you that we, you know, we did you know, an awful lot of fact-checks of Donald Trump. Having said that, you know, if you go to the site, you'll see that we, you know, we did an awful lot of fact-checks of Clinton as well. Um, but you know, to your question, you know, we, 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 didn't, you know, we made that designation for a reason. Uh, it was something we, the likes of which we hadn't seen before uh, as far as uh, misinformation from a single candidate. Thank you for that. I feel validated. I will go into this holiday <laughs> week weekend feeling, you know what? I made the right decision. I made the right choice. Uh, Rob, thank you so much again for joining us here today. Oh, thanks for having me. Rob Farley, everyone, if you want to check out his work and the work that his organization does, and you need some fact-checking for yourself. I mean, you know, we don't spend our free time here just talking crap because we feel like it i mean some of the this all of this is real you could head to factcheck.org don't go away when we come back from our quick short break our show continues and john zipper and i will give you some of our thoughts on what has played out just recently especially jeff sessions that name you need to know don't go away babe i think we're ready we're really doing this yeah i'm ready for our family So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, 
Guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Sines, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care serving your community. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Tuesday, November 22nd. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. And uh, before the break, we had Rob Farley on from factcheck.org. I really encourage you to check out the website. We did go through the Electoral College, and uh, my, my simple statement to you is that, you know, although many of us had signed that petition, we've got to start living in the reality, and that is President-elect Donald Trump. That is reality. John, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us in studio today to, to help us through this insanity. Be our therapist. So we had a town hall meeting last Thursday at the Commonwealth Club, uh, and it was great. We had uh, Melissa Kane, who's been on this program, reporting from the uh, – uh, conventions. We had Jennifer Granholm, former governor of Michigan. And uh, I started off by saying, okay, first, everyone take a breath, breathe in, breathe out. And it's like part political discussion, part Lamaze. Um, so I, I think <laughs> I think people are slowly acclimating themselves to it. And I, I both, both in the sense of realizing what is going to be a potential danger to them or their interests, their, the causes they care about, and maybe some things they don't need to worry about they're not coming out to be real or whatever, um, or they're thinking certain institutions will be a you know bigger uh, impediment to Trump than before. Um, so I think, and that's probably the process everyone's, you know, the whole five stages of grief thing. They're, they're, they are coming to terms for the most part. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean they're becoming supportive of him. And that, that people need to take that, you know, remember that so that when someone is saying, this is the reality, it doesn't mean you're saying, okay, everyone rally around the president. It means, okay, if you want to do something, face reality first, and then you can do stuff. Right, exactly. That's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm facing reality on my own, though. I, uh, 
I realize that for a lot of people, you know, getting things out, saying things and venting on social media has just become the norm in, in how you, you uh, deal with all of this. But I think for me, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to exist in the protests and the screaming and the yelling. I actually want to do something. And so stay tuned for that. John, I want to talk to you about something that's important to both of us as members of the media. Um, you know, Donald Trump has met with members of the media from major media groups. But before I get into what that meeting was all about and how scary actually it is that we could potentially be living in a um, I think state controlled or, or government controlled media is, is that's as dramatic as I'm going to get about it. I want to bring up the Atlantic. So the Atlantic had put out a video of, of white supremacists. I'm not going to use the word nationalists because I think that normalizes, um, you know, very, uh, a hate group, if you will. And this video has garnered over 4 million views. And although I know that the Atlantic's intention was to share this shocking video of white supremacists who are basically um, uh, throwing up Nazi salutes to President-elect Donald Trump, I want to talk about how scary this could be and how it contributes to the normalizing of, you know, this this whole culture, culture of hate. Can I play this video really quick? Sure. Everyone stare at your radio <laughs> intently. Hail Trump! Hail our people! Hail victory! No one will honor us for losing gracefully. No one mourns the great crimes committed against us. For us, it is conquer or die. The mainstream media, or perhaps we should refer to them in the original German, Lugenpresse. It's not just that they are leftist and cucks. It's not just that many are genuinely stupid. Indeed, one wonders if these people are people at all or instead soulless golem, animated by some dark power to repeat whatever talking point John Oliver stated the night before. To be white is to be a striver, a crusader, an explorer, and a conqueror. We build, we produce, we go upward. And we recognize the central line. All right, that's enough from that dick. No, really, his name is Richard B. Spencer. And uh, that was at an, what they call an alternative right conference. I'm not going to call these people alternative rights or nationalists because nationalists are, if you think about the core definition of that word, is about protecting kind of, you know, not, not, not uh, your nation. I, I mean, I just take, break that word. What these people are, are hateful you know, KKK people. I'm just going to go there. These are uh, Nazis. They're white supremacists. This is not America. John, your thoughts? Um, I think that video or the sound that we heard from it pretty much speaks for itself. I mean, that now that from what I heard, there were about 150 people in the room. Uh, there were about 150 protesters outside. Um, and uh, I don't know if you heard saw the story about the restaurant that uh, had been booked for their their victory dinner or whatever, and they had booked it under a different name. And when the restaurant found out, of course, later who it was, they they re, they donated the the profit they made that night to 
um, oh, I forget which one it was. It might have been the Southern Poverty Law Center or something like that. But um, yeah, I mean, the, okay, here's a couple things. I don't think people are watching that video and going, yes, I'm now more likely to be a white supremacist. I think they're watching it if they're watching it and they're saying, oh my God, these people are crazy. And, and what my message kind of has been over the past couple of weeks is, again, you're in the same America you were three weeks ago. That's both good and bad. You know, all the things you loved about America are, you know, there are still, there's still sunshine and puppy dogs and, and people doing good work and all of that. But we've also been blind for a long time, especially outside of, you know, like the groups that have been focusing on this kind of thing. Most of people in this country are kind of blind to the fact that there are actual people like this out there. And they were here before three weeks ago. They were here before two years ago. You know, white supremacists, white racists, Nazis, KKK folks. Um, this, this election has surfaced, to use that, that terrible term, surfaced them in the, to the awareness of a lot of folks. Yep. But um, this is, there are people like that. And right. There, and, and there are a lot of them. When I say there are 150, I don't mean to say, oh, this is a negligible group. It's, it's a minority group. Ha, they're a minority. They can deal with that. Right. But, um, you know, we're bigger than them. Again, yes. don't ever forget, Hillary Clinton got more votes than Donald Trump. Yes, but this is the – okay, so so in radio, you know, I'm just going to – because that's all I know is if I apply it back to myself. Of all the interviews that I've ever done, when I have invited the crazies, giving them just the mic itself makes them feel powerful. And they just say the most absurd things over and over and over – and not almost to the point where it, I don't even know if they believe what they're saying anymore or they just love the fact that somebody is listening to them or that their voices just got, you know, amplified. So as you had mentioned, only 100, 100 some people may have been there at that conference. But the fact that it's gotten over four million some views, I wonder if that makes them feel like they've become, you know, the next superstar. And don't don't forget, you know, who this president is. He was elected because of his ability to make reality TV just that, reality. Well, and how much do you think, and I'm, I, I don't have an answer to this, I'm, I would like to know what you think. How much do you think we have a Donald Trump drawing on these people for support and, and playing to them, you know, retweeting some of their, you know, the, the what was it, the white genocide uh, 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 retweets and stuff like that. How much of that do you think is happening specifically because President number 44 was an African-American. Great question. Um, great question. I, I actually, I, I don't know. And I don't think it's a large percentage, though. I, I, um, I think that a lot of it has more to do with the fact that, you know, Donald Trump uh, ran on a racist campaign, um, not so much from the former president or soon to be former president being African-American himself, but racist as in, you know, keeping all of these other people out. And he kept talking about, you know, what what the real America looks like, which is the white America. And even even if you're talking about, you know, all of these conferences happening and the KKK rallies and the anti everyone else, um, you know, narrative Donald Trump has not called out his supporters in this behavior. In fact, the people he's calling out are the people like the New York Times, like credible journalists, which going back to that meeting he just had, 
I mean, he, it, I think a journalist had described it as like a complete shaming or a firing squad of some of the most notable journalists in this country who joined him on that meeting. And, and he was shaming them for doing things like using an unflattering picture. This is our president here, you know, scolding credible yeah. journalists for using a horrible picture of him. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all about him. And I mean, I, I saw some journalists were, were criticizing those who attended and saying how they should never have done it. Well, journalists are going to go to a meeting with the president-elect. They'd, they'd be kind of idiots not to. If they sat down in that meeting and signed a private, a secret uh, agreement to only give him positive coverage and never to put an unflattering photo up again, then, yeah, they should be fired and hounded out of the, the profession. But for going to a meeting with the president-elect, um, it was the president-elect who showed his bad character there and, and certainly his ongoing total lack of understanding about what a free media is about. I, I know, but this is you and I talking. Like uh, People who actually read and, and, and do not watch Fox News, or and, and I know you think that Fox News' um, uh, audience you know, is a sl- uh, slim... Frank Rich thinks that. <laughs> Uh, a slim piece of the pie, but for some reason, you know, their voices have become vocalized in in this election, actually. It's like, by Donald Trump scolding these journalists, all of a sudden, you, you've got more people that will do those types of rallies and who are th- thinking <laughs> that think this so? is their leader. Yes, I do. That, that they think that he is the guy who's going to stand up to, you know, the media and to corporations when, and then, and then you've got well, Senator good, good, Bernie okay. Sanders out there saying the same thing, but saying it to a different group of people. I just, I'm just afraid. Maybe call me cynical now, but that this message is going to be lost. Um, if you mean everyone basically attacking the media, and how the media basically will get beaten down. Um, I mean, what Rob Farley was talking about on the fact check and the fake news, um, and and how journalists don't often have the time to go into it. Well, you know, they used to, and so journalists now. There are fewer of them. Uh-huh. Um, they often have less experience because all the ones with experience have been given golden parachutes to get them out so they could hire uh, younger, cheaper people. Um, and the companies behind them, in many cases, but not all, um, are more risk-averse. At the same time, what we have now that we did not have when I was young is Huffington Post, uh, you know, The Intercept, and, and, and there are, are a lot of other news organizations out there. So... You know, this whole, the the Republican attack, and it's mostly Republican, but not exclusively, on the so-called mainstream media has been bogus for a long time. Yeah. I mean, years and years and years and years. Um, because the media is much more diverse and, and, and such. But um, how the media reacts, I, I think you're going to have, I think we're going to see a lot of the more explicitly um, political left media get even stronger in their right. reporting and their condemnations and such. And I think the so-called mainstream media um, is going to do what it's always done, which is kind of muddle through. But, but you know, let's also think about what the Washington Post did during this election. I mean, they did no holds barred, tough reporting on Donald Trump, even after he said, right. after, after he tried to cow them into submission. Right. And, and they just continued, and they they hired journalists, and they they did front page stuff. And you know, this this was an election. Don't forget also in which 
what was it? Every major newspaper, with the exception of the one that's owned by uh, Trump's pal in Las Vegas, um, or the KKK paper, <laughs> can't call that a major one, <laughs> they all endorsed or refrained from endorsing Trump. They all endorsed Hillary Clinton. So um, I think there is some backbone and bravery there that is not going to come through in everything. There are going to be plenty of times when we're going to be like, why didn't they report on you know XYZ? But I mean, I even feel that too about today when you're, we're looking at you know all these stories about oh well about his potential business conflicts of interest. It's like okay, I'm not going to read a million stories on that. I know he's got business conflict of interest, and I know nothing's going to happen about it. Not because of the media, but because who's going to call him on it legally? It would be Congress, mm-hmm. and they're not going to because right. it's controlled by his party. It's important to call it out for what it is. And it's important to not, you know, to, 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 to kind of stay away from sensationalizing the situation as well as glamorizing what is honestly hate, uh, ugly, nasty rhetoric that shouldn't, shouldn't be there. Yes, the country is going down if you look at it from that point of view, but you don't have to be a part of it. I, I would say now is actually the perfect time to be a liberal and the definition of a liberal refers to the way you consider information, criticizing yourself, criticizing your own ideas, reconsidering them, and always taking in new information to see if that challenges your beliefs. And that's one of the problems that has led uh, a a large chunk of the the conservative part of this country into an intellectual dead end. Now is the time, well, actually all the time is the time, but now is the time when it's really going to show uh, as to whether the folks who call themselves on the left are actually liberals and are willing to Uh, be really brave in the way they think and uh, consider information. Let's take a quick break right here, but when we come back, we will will close the show down, finalize our thoughts. I want to say something about Senator Bernie Sanders, and I also do want to touch on Jeff Sessions and see what John Sipper thinks of that. So don't go away. We'll be right back. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks again for joining us here on this special Tuesday. It's the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, and uh, Thanksgiving used to be my favorite holiday until uh, the year 2016, in which America went to shit. 
Um, and that's because it elected Donald Trump. I'm just going to say that. I, I just said before the break, we just need to be very real in what we say. And I'm not going to beat around the bush. I commend Huffington Post for doing things like that. I'm tired of reading articles in the media in which, you know, journalists have now changed their tone because they've become af- afraid maybe of the orange bully. Um, all right. So right before the break, I mentioned two names, Bernie Sanders uh, and the newly appointed or soon to be appointed uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions. And why are we afraid of Jeff? Well, what I see most is his worry about uh, his worry is is his record of allegations of racism, uh, racist comments, uh, uh, chastising. Uh, you know, an African American man for you know not talking the way he should to a white person. Uh, Sessions uh, says that's not the case. He was just telling him how to talk to anybody. It was, you know, I think we're in for a lot of that. He's going to wiggle out of that. He's going. There's nothing there that's going to stop a a very conservative uh, Congress from approving him. I have a uh, short video here of him speaking about immigration enforcement. I don't know. Maybe that that kind of tone will let people out there know what kind of uh, a guy Jeff Sessions is. By the way, he's a Republican senator from Alabama, if you didn't know. It just cannot be the policy of a nation who expects its laws to be respected that if you can get past the border or if you can get a visa into the country and overstay, nobody is going to have any intention of removing you or enforcing the agreement you made. Attorney General Holder and Cecilia Munoz, who's the president's chief director, policy person on immigration, who used to be with La Raza, they've described amnesty as a civil right. So you come into the country illegally, and the attorney general of the United States declares that these individuals have a civil right to amnesty. How can this possibly be the chief law enforcement officer? All right, so that's, you know, that's not too long ago. That was a couple years ago. I mean, a couple years could change someone's mind, but as you could see there, just the the basic idea of someone else coming into this country is illegal to him. No, his, his basic idea of someone coming in illegally is is abhorrent to him. And I think if he sticks to that type of a message and and shies away from making it explicit about Mexicans, which let's face it, that's mostly what the anti-immigrant uh, mood is about. They're really not worried about Irish people coming in or Canadians or Germans right. or whatever. Um, he's going to find a lot of people support him. He's going to find a lot of people in immigrant communities support him. Is seeking amnesty illegal? Uh, I don't think so. I, and really, for me, the argument for, for amnesty of some sort is a it's ridiculous to assume you're going to have 12 to 14 million people deported and b i mean and this is the reason in fact a lot of church groups even even conservative protestant groups support some sort of of amnesty for folks is it's just a humanitarian matter mm-hmm. you know they're they're in communities their children are in schools they need to come out from the shadows so they can have police protection and and get decent i mean all that kind of stuff um yeah, he, he's he, that. The thing on amnesty, on the other hand, it has long been a, a uh, 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 something that Republicans have made political hay out of. Um, I'm more worried about the explicit racial correct overtones or undertones or whatever of uh, his policies, and I, you know, 
that that's probably actually my biggest worry about much of the Trump administration. Well, I, I guess where I'm going with that is because Donald Trump ran on a campaign yeah. that was very anti, you know, Mexican, talked about the border, talked about building a wall, and then you appoint someone like Jeff Sessions who has publicly talked about getting tougher on immigration reform, I have nothing to say other than what you're, you're probably going at is having some guy there to create an enforcement of that nature that's totally targeted against Mexican-Americans oh, yeah. and or, you know, yes, Mexican immigrants. And, and a number of his other uh, uh, appointments so far or people who are being posited as, as uh, cabinet members, um, immigration, immigration hardlinerism, let's make up a word, is uh, consistent. Uh, you know, you find that in, in a number of them. And I suspect there are a lot of proposals and plans and promises he made during the campaign he's not going to keep. And I actually don't hold that against a candidate. Sure. And frankly, a lot of his, thank God if you won't keep them, you know. But, you know, y you say things, change, things change once you get into office and you realize you can't do that, that kind of thing. But it does seem like immigration he's going to live up to, or at least try to implement, you know, a number of those things. At the very least, whether or not there's a wall or not is ridiculous. Who cares? People will go under it or go through it somehow. But um, that, you know, is a, a campaign slogan. But as far as making life miserable for immigrants, or especially undoc undocumented immigrants, yeah, I think that's something he is going to try to do. And that is an area where I think if people are saying, oh, I'm really worried about Trump, then they should find out, they should track down organizations that help immigrants, that yes. are legal organizations that, that uh, protect them. Right. Um, I wouldn't wait, and that's yeah. the point of this show, is to send you that message. I would not wait to see what happens come January 21st. Yeah. Um, we've got a couple minutes left, and so I do want to throw this out there. Senator Bernie Sanders is giving me a headache. There's not enough Advil in the world that's going to alleviate this <laughs> headache that he is giving me. And I say this because of two things. You know, it, well, he's made a, a ton of comments, obviously. It's, it's like he's just been a uh, – he, he woke up from a really long nap after losing the Democratic <laughs> uh, presidential candidacy. And he has come out to say that if Donald Trump will stand up to Wall Street and big corporations, um, he will work with Donald Trump, happy to do so, which – you know, pisses me off because it's like you already know by the appointments that he's making. I mean, tons of these people are lobbyists themselves. And then this to follow up on that, the second comment he made that made me want to sh just uh, go to go, take a long nap like he did um, was, you know, that he wanted to, us to all get out of identity politics, us Democrats, that is, and really focus on the, the middle class. And, and so to me, a comment like that makes it seem like he does not understand the issues that impact us at the intersectionalities, such as being a woman and a Democrat, being a middle class and African-American. You can't ignore some of these things and just focus on the fact that middle America came out to vote for President Donald Trump. And therefore, we, we only need to speak to them. That is what pissed me off. Far be it from me to defend uh, Bernie Sanders. Um, I, I would and, and I, I largely agree with you, by the way, but. I, I would say, oh, I think when he was saying he would work with Trump, he meant on those issues. I don't think there's a chance in hell that Donald Trump is, that uh, Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders are going to push a, you know, a bill through Congress, uh, you know, supported by the white nationalists or something like, excuse me, the white supremacists. Democrats already are also seeing that as a way of trying to split the Republicans. 
this is not the Bernie Sanders show. We all should be working together. So before you think about tweeting something that makes us all normalize Donald Trump, uh, how about you uh, check yourself before you wreck yourself? (laughs) That's the Michelle Meow Show today. Don't forget, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club hosts his own show here on the Michelle Meow Show. Four o'clock Friday is Pacific Standard Time. So after you're all, you know, drugged up from tryptophan and eating tons of uh, turkey, you can tune in for his show. His show is the week-to-week political roundtable talk. We're here Monday through Friday, four o'clock Pacific Standard Time. For everything else, you can head to MichelleMeow.com. Um, 